Now reading. You might have heard this. But tune in with ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax lists. This first enrollment occurred when Quirinius was gov governed Syria. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. And since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Nearby, shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their flocks at night, and the Lord's angel stood before them, and the Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom God favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go now to Bethlehem and let us see what has happened. Let's confirm what God has revealed to us. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they reported what they had been told about this child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told them. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Now, it could just be the circles that I run in, but it seems to me, at least, that I have heard more debates this year on which movies are actually Christmas movies and which are not Christmas movies. At least more debate than I have in several years. The fuss usually comes around, you know, once a year. But one of the perennial debates, the debates that I seem to encounter is this debate that centers around the movie Die Hard. You know, that classic. <laughs> And those who object to calling this movie Die Hard a Christmas movie, well, they trumpet their typical rationale. Hey, just because a movie is set during Christmas time when it happens doesn't make it a Christmas movie if nothing else in the movie is really about Christmas. And those in favor of calling Die Hard a Christmas movie, well, I haven't listened all that closely to their arguments, quite honestly, because I've got my mind made up. It ain't. Okay. I hate to start off with such a controversial topic like that on a Christmas Eve sermon when we're all here, you know, and I guess I, I probably shouldn't have done that, but, you know, I feel passionately about my opinion, and, and, and you can find the movie. Unfortunately, apparently no one listens to me, because when you look online, it's classified as a Christmas movie, 
No one asked me. Can't believe it. Now, you know, apparently, you know, people don't listen to even passionate arguments these days. It's, it's funny how once we get certain ideas in our head, whether it's about a movie or almost any host of topics, for whatever, for whatever reason, we clamp down on these ideas in our minds and we have trouble seeing things a different way. We do the same thing, actually, with stories we know well, even the Christmas story, by the way we have come to tell it and imagine it and see it happen. Many of us hardly realize that until the medieval ages, no artist had ever put the ox and the ass in the paintings or sculptures or depictions of that oh-so-holy night that we just heard so beautifully sung about in song. A manger was indeed where animals ate, but did you know that it was not necessarily in a separate building that stood apart from the home where families lived and cooked and slept. Now, this is just the tip of the iceberg with how we've come to picture things that first Christmas night. Now, I love the song, Away in a Manger, but if we really, and now here comes, you know, you got Alice with sunshine, now comes the storm, rain on your parade. But if we were to really sing it, you know, and leave it open-ended to where it could be accurate for the, what we understand about the time and the history, it could be right across the living room in the manger. But that doesn't roll off the tongue nearly as well as away in the manger. And we, besides, we'd have to learn the different song. Now, it might have been in someone's living room. Boy, now, if, I, if you thought my remarks about Die Hard were controversial, here I am meddling with the manger. Now, that'd be a great song, meddling with the manger, wouldn't it? <laughs> you want to know another secret about the way we've pictured that first Christmas night? When some English translations, what they render in verse 7, and they laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in an inn, they actually do a bit of an imaginary leap there. You may have noticed that the version I read a moment ago didn't say the word inn. It said the word guest room. That word there that some translations call inn and other people call guest room, the word in question in the original language in the New Testament, which is Greek, is this really difficult to pronounce word, kataluma. It's actually the very same word, now listen to this, as is in the Greek to describe the upper room where Jesus and the disciples shared the Last Supper in the Cataluma. Now that was 33 years later where they gathered there. But you see, Palestinian houses in this part of the world were, and many still are, one-room spaces with a slight partition, perhaps in the center or on one end of the room. So in most homes from the region where this story took place, the Cataluma is not necessarily a separate space for travelers to rest, but a guest area within a home. And what we found out from the narrator here in Luke is there was no place for them in the guest room. There was no place. A family was already present and occupying that space. So it implies there was already a family who was staying in that part of the home where they would have put guests. And so it would seem that Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus more than likely stayed in the main part of the home with the family who owned the home or called it their own. Interesting. And did you know that the animals were actually brought in at night oftentimes? to protect them from sheep, uh, from wolves or from thieves or from the cold. And so the indentation with the hay, that was probably there at the corner of the main living area. It was a soft, warm, logical place to put the child close by, warm, protected, but not often an outbuilding necessarily. We've kind of 
read that into the story. It makes a beautiful scene. Now, don't hold on to it. Don't let that ruin your Christmas. I'm getting somewhere with all of this. But the cataluma or the guest room, as it were, being full and having no space means that many, like Mary and Joseph, had already traveled to Bethlehem and the family guest room was already full, probably with relatives. Anybody know anything about relatives coming to visit this time of year? Still pilgrimages happen, don't they? Some of you are living proof. So as Mary and Joseph may have well stayed in the same space as the family that owned the place, now can you wrap your mind around that after having heard the story a certain way or pictured it? You know, more than likely, we just picture it a certain way all of these years. Now some of you are thinking, okay, preacher, you're meddling with the manger. So what if Jesus was born among his own family in the main family's part of the household, you know, in the inner sanctum of a home instead of a shed or an outbuilding? Now, I'm so glad you asked. For me, this possibility opens up the fact that Jesus' birth story is not necessarily a story about rejection and isolation. We see that much later in his life as things lead to the cross. That's a different holiday, as Alice said earlier in the service. But for me, knowing that Jesus may well have been born in the main quarters of someone's house because the guest room was already full tells me that Jesus' birth story is a story about overflowing, radical, extravagant hospitality. It's a story where accommodations are made for weary travelers who were also immigrants, probably from another part of the land, outsiders in every stretch of the imagination. It's a very ordinary, no, it's even a less than ordinary birth story, a peasant baby born in the main living area of a family who was foreign to them's main living area, this tiny space, all up close and in person. Can you imagine? And this, my friends, is a story, the Christmas story, is a story of incarnation, reminding us that God is indeed with us and not just the Caesars of the world. And therefore, we are called to practice the same sort of radical hospitality with how we welcome people into our inner circle, people who are different than us, people who are outsiders, people who are poor, people who are depressed, people whose lives are in shambles, people who can really give us nothing in return for whatever compassion we may show them. This has serious ramifications. This has political ramifications, not in the partisan Democrat or Republican sense, but ramifications in the what kind of world do we really want to build together sense. And when I'm stressed and when I'm hurried and when I'm overworked, the last thing that sounds good to me, I turn off my extrovert before all that and I want to go home and be an introvert. I don't want company at home when I'm worn out. You think about the holidays and everything that goes on. Sometimes it's just nice, but you know what? Sometimes duty calls. Sometimes Christmas comes calling. And we're called to open up our lives, even when it's not easy, when it's not convenient, when there's nothing in it for us. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. We heard those words a moment ago. And that's exactly what Christmas calls us to be, one world family. Every single other human being, our sister, our brother. This is Christmas in a nutshell. We are all family. We are all connected. We are all one another's keeper. There's no plush bed for me while you go sleep in the shed or vice versa. We are in this one world family together and Christmas calls on us to make this world comfortable, safe, and welcoming for everyone else.
on the planet. Not just a few. Not just those we prefer to hang out with. Not just those most like us. We are called to make room for the neighbor whose faith is different than us, whose race is different than our own, whose gender or sexuality may be expressed differently than our own. We have to make room in our home, right up there, close and personal, and include people in our circle. We're called to welcome the stranger. We're called to welcome the foreigner. We're called to welcome the outsider, the down and outer, the underdog, whoever they are, wherever they are. There are no second or third class citizens when we gather around the manger, for we are all encircled as one world family in God's living room, where we mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. When Christmas rolls around, there are plenty who are rejoicing. But when Christmas rolls around, there are also those filled with dread and with tension that it brings into their lives because of difficult relationships, even with people they love. When Christmas rolls around, there are those who miss that loved one they lost, maybe recently or maybe many years ago, and the pain just never seems to go away. And when you see the Christmas tree, when you sit around that table, there's that one empty place, and it hurts regardless of how many years or how many moments have passed by. And friends, this is why we need one another. We are called as Christmas people to gather, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn, to do life alongside one another, and when it comes time, to die alongside one another. This is the wonder of Christmas. God with us and we with one another share the only life we've been given. And this vision of Christmas must have been what inspired G.K. Chesterton's Christmas poem. Listen to its final stanza and just see if you think he caught this Christmas vision. To an open house in the evening, home shall they all come. To an older place than Eden and a taller tower than Rome. To the end of the wandering star, to the things that cannot be and yet are, to the place where God was homeless and yet all humans are at home. Friends, have you got any room at your place? The wonders of this season call us to build a world where all humans truly are at home. Thanks be to God for this Christmas news. Amen.